0: I always feel like we are one week off of all pop culture trends. Like, if we had just held out for one week, we could have talked about so much more, and yet here we are one week after our Dark Knight episode, and of course now the Teen Titans trailer comes out. Not even Teen Titans, sorry. Titans.
1: It's funny because we have, um, uh, the- I literally saw something on Facebook today, um as we record this and they talking all these people are talking about dark knight comes came out today 10 years ago and how amazing it was how heath ledger absolutely deserved the oscar and everything i was like yes and we talked about it last week
0: people are stealing our ideas Aaron.
1: yeah absolutely because like, i
0: believe i was the one who said in that episode fuck batman and here we go Robin stole my line, guys. I'm pretty sure I said exactly those words because I'm a 13-year-old goth.
1: That is, that is a terrible fucking line. I, I,
0: That's probably the worst line of 2018. That's probably the worst two seconds of 2018, I'm going to say.
1: Well, that or the CW-looking graphics already. It... And here's the thing. I'm not going to completely hate on it because it has potential. Like, the Suicide Squad trailer had potential. It did not live up to it because of producers or whatever reason. It had potential. That's why I was excited after the trailer. This trailer has
0: potential. Do you know they got the guys who cut the trailer to come in and do the reshoots for the movie for Suicide Squad? <sighs> Because they were more excited about look, making a cool-looking thing for teens to get really excited about than a coherent storyline or compelling characters.
1: I'm not really that surprised to be just, told.
0: I feel so bad because Teen Titans was both dark and serious and goofy and lighthearted. It was likable and sympathetic. And then they went Teen Titans Go!, which no matter how many which times you tell me... turn
1: burn in a fire! No matter
0: how many times you tell me, it just seems so... Oh... And then it's like a reaction to that. Now let's go edgy, Dark Lord. let step on people's necks. Let's fuck Batman. Yeah. Let's make Raven, who I found very strong and compelling in the Teen Titans animated series, this whimpering, sad girl who's afraid of the monster inside her.
1: Well, in truthfully, the in my my true experience only comes from the show Teen Titans, produced by Cartoon Network in the early millennium. Very true. She was always afraid of it, but she wasn't that afraid
0: of she it. She didn't play it that way. Yeah. The character that they have crafted. Anyway, the problem is we can't escape Batman no matter what, and we just watched a really kick-ass movie, and I, I really wanted to lead well, off with that, he, he, but here,
1: let's 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 transition this way. Hey Rich, what'd you think of the trailer?
2: Can I just say the word sheesh? <laughs>
1: That's your one word answer for the uh, the
2: trailer?
0: We're paying him by the word, Aaron. Don't ask him for more.
2: uh, There's just no words for how disappointing that trailer was. Since you could tell that Warner Brothers slash DC really is using this show to headline their streaming service. And I feel like now because of this, the Young Justice season three that has been Uh, promised really has to deliver which, here's the thing, they've already delivered two
1: amazing seasons. We they sound- could try half the mu- amount that they did, and they would already deliver more than they w- can, or rather. We
0: dug Young Justice so hard, even when second season started, and it was a quite, completely different cast, completely different time period. And I was very worried, and then 15 minutes in, I'm like, okay, cool, you've, you've sold me, I'm back on board here. And so few shows can pull that switcheroo at the beginning and say, it's still good. You're still going to like it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, let's like purge our entire cast from the first season just about and have a whole new group of people and then still have it being watchable for a second season after so many years. So still hopes for that, not hopes for Robin saying fuck Batman and then stabbing people in the neck.
1: (laughs) I really... Now, the thing is... Besides that one line, Robin looks badass. Uh, I don't know. I might be in the
0: minority. Police officer
2: Dick Grayson doesn't really interest me that much. I've... Maybe like a Jason Todd, but who knows? They were
0: talking about that in the comments. That this seems more of a Jason Todd sort of Robin, as opposed to a Dick Grayson like Robin, like a
2: pre-Red Hood type. Exactly, uh, Robin, someone out, who I would I take
0: extreme. I mean, it's the
2: whole reason why Batman took Robin in the first place was because he was a more idealistic version of what he would have been as a child and tried to raise in that way. Jason Todd was always the edgier. I'm going to, you know, push the boundaries of vigilante justice and then it finally kind of backfired in that storyline which is what i saw in the trailer and just didn't jive with what i grew up watching
1: so dick grace and jason todd and i always forget the third one. Oh gosh yeah see
0: come on boys you should know this
2: uh, I mean, well you know marvelite it's hard for me to follow everything and you now work in a comic tim book drake. shop so
0: there drake, you
1: go right? so which one was it jason todd or tim drake that actually figured out who robin and batman like their secret
2: identities which one was it oh my gosh it was tim drake one yeah
0: because
2: okay. so. he was like really super smart and like basically wrote bruce wayne said hey I know you're Batman. And he was like, I'm impressed with your detective skills. And then whatever reason. You to be Robin. Bruce Wayne is allowed to kidnap children like crazy.
0: The the trailer just seems because money. When you say when you say the line Fuck Batman, what you're saying to the audience is forget that has been hack that we've wrecked. We did him really good ten years ago and then we purposely drove him into the ground. This is a new generation. This is a cool hip edgy Yeah. But, Rich, Aaron, I've always loved you. Let's talk about Blues Brothers.
1: Yeah, let's, let's talk about an adaptation of uh, somehow slightly slight uh, pre-existing source material uh, with being SNL characters. Uh, possibly the best adaptation of SNL characters besides Wayne's World.
2: I, I would say that's definitely like you're talking about the Pantheon of SNL movies. Uh, it's just two. Yeah. <laughs> huh. what, do, what do you mean? Ladies' Man wasn't good? Pat? It's Pat? Oh my gosh. The fact that that actually exists is horrifying. Oh God, that movie is awful. Still rated as one of the worst movies of all time. But <sighs> yes, uh, 1980 Blues Brothers. We're not talking about 2000 without John Belushi Blues Brothers.
1: That uh, No, if you want to watch the the best version of Blues Brothers 2000, go watch Nostalgia Critic talking about Blue Brothers 2000, which I was going to try to show you, but we ran out of time.
0: Babe, you talk about him so much. Sorry. We got to be our own podcast at some point. We try to be. <laughs>
1: so, um, initial impressions. Uh, oh, I mean, we literally...
0: Me and Aaron have n- had not seen oh, yeah. Blues Brothers... Rich had, and when he heard we had not seen it, he said, you gotta. So we just finished watching the Blu-ray Extended Edition version of the movie, which was cool because I could always tell when a new scene was in because it's a different quality, and that's not anything against the movie, it was just different parts of the cutting room floor that were reinserted back in as part of the director's intent. So there were lots of scenes where like, OK, so they got to extend a lot of music sequences. A lot of plot holes were explained, little things like that. Uh, I think you were right, Rich. It adds to the director's vision. It didn't change the ending dramatically or uh, <laughs> it, only, it only expounded.
2: I mean, in general, I am a theater Uh, purist when it comes to movies. I like to watch the what was released in theater because that was always what was intended by the director. But sometimes these movies in the 80s that were cut short because of time and money, uh, sometimes you got cuts of movies that weren't whole for what the director wanted to convey in story. And what this movie does is it gives you a lot of those scenes that explain a little bit, but doesn't take away from the heart and soul of the movie, which is the music and Chicago.
0: Definitely. And I think the qualifier we gave you was (laughs) would you do uh, Lord of the Rings Extended Edition over Batman v Superman Extended Edition? And I believe your words were fuck zack snyder i think
2: (laughs) no no i i I like zack snyder as a storyboard guy but uh (laughs) as far as uh that mess that was uh justice league was just uh or batman versus superman the extended edition it it's just was too much meanderness for my part
1: well um and we again we weren't sure uh we both been uh trying to watch this movie for a long time we've had a high school friend who's been pushing us to watch this for smart high school friend yeah eons for, for eon. so he was um, the one
0: who got me to watch willow for the first time of course i forgot half of it so we had to re-watch it with Allie later <laughs> plug <laughs> um, if you want to listen to our no we do have an episode of willow earlier in the season because guys we've done 40 episodes before we get too far into discussion can we do the plug party oh
1: uh yes okay um, so would you also like
0: to do our special surprise or should to save that to the end
1: uh, let's uh let's just go ahead and save that for the end for now
0: okay you can follow us on facebook at married to the idea twitter at married number two the idea email us at married to the idea reviews at gmail.com Or uh, if you forget any of those, you can find our website, marriedtotheidea.weebly.com. We are on SoundCloud and iTunes, and as always, we'd appreciate a review of If we Made You Laugh, Cry, or Nod Indifferently.
1: Those two. They're going places. Uh, So, uh, the movie, uh, we literally just watched it.
0: First impressions, I can't recall the last time a movie tricked me into laughing like I was watching it and it was absurd and I thought well it couldn't get more absurd than this and then it would and then it would throw a zinger and I would sit up laughing in my seat because it was just so dang funny
1: it was that kind of that that's that very stylized comedy that very 80s comedy of course this was made in 1980 so you could say this was the first of that um, but it was that very stylized 80s comedy where it's like it it's gonna throw a punchline at you you can see the punchline coming at you but you don't know which direction it's actually
2: gonna come from so you think it's gonna
1: come from the front but it's actually a mirror and it's gonna come from behind you
2: <laughs> I mean it, to me it's a staple of John Landis who has a, uh, I think this is like I can't remember. It's maybe a second or third directorial uh, movie. Whereas, you know, you kind of, a lot of people know him from animal house, which has that same kind of comedy style with this movie. It's almost just like that on steroids because I mean, you have land directing, but this was a movie written by Dan Aykroyd and everything he had learned and done from SNL working with John Belushi and other people associated I mean, it's just, they knew how to cobble together something that was going to be truly funny. Question was, could it be something more than just comedy with, which is a coherent story and something else that made it special, which is to me, the music. And that's the thing too, is is
1: you have to truly ask yourself and I know it's going to be hard and I'm not going to sit here and rip on the movie because it, I, for initial impression is a good movie. It, it lives up to the hype. Um, I've had it hyped from, like I said, Nostalgia Critic. I've had it hyped from our high school friend. I've had it hyped up from you. I've had it hyped up from all of our, uh, a lot of our friends, including uh, our friend Katie, who's been on the podcast, who we're hoping to have back soon. Um, I bet I could go up and be like, hey, Blues Brothers, and be like, hell yeah, one of the funniest damn movies of all time. It lives up to the hype. But is it as good of a movie as everyone says it is? That's a question I want to ask.
0: I guess it depends on what you've heard. As good as everyone says, I think I've just heard that it's really good and funny and has good music. And if that's our qualifier, then I think it lives up to it.
1: What my qualifier is, is it's got a good story. I like the getting the band back together and doing something good with it. Trying to save the orphanage, um, and you might think, "Oh, maybe I'm spoiling." That's that's pretty much the whole plotline of the entire movie. However, even though they try to do that in the next movie, uh, the the whole point of that plotline is so simplistic that it lends itself to this very long form comedy that it can do. It it will set up a punchline or set up a joke at the beginning, and you see. Um, payoffs of it later on, like um, Carrie Fisher is in this movie, and she keeps trying to kill the brothers, and you don't really find out why till near the end.
2: And might I say, when she tries to kill the brothers, it's not like trying to poison or do something subtle. It's using rocket launchers, detonating TNT, a flamethrower next to a propane tank that sends a phone booth up in the air. And an M-16 in a basically underground tunnel. So, I mean, it's absurdity in just every bit of the manner.
0: I understood this movie when she pulled the rocket launcher from the passenger side. I understood where the movie was going at that point. Because previously, I was like... Okay, I get it. I mean, it's 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 humorous. I but. have to say,
2: sitting there and watching, because obviously I've seen the movie probably 300 plus times. And watching you all, which is, I know, creepy in its own self. But seeing you all, when that scene where she drives up, watching them walk down the sidewalk, go into the building. And when she pulled that rocket launcher, I'm pretty sure Liz was willing to fall off the couch because she was laughing so hard. And that made me happy because... Like I've always appreciated the absurd comedy, and that's one of the things I've kind of gravitated toward Monty Python and that style. And this it movie definitely made me think of me Monty think Python so much. of it. but there's also a lot of subtle humor, a lot of stuff that's not said, but you see, like the name of the salon that she works at or owns is called Curl Up and Die. As in not D I E, but D Y E, and just like little things. I mean, the fact, I mean, John Gandy, who has maybe a total of
0: ten three lines? minutes,
2: three <laughs> minutes maybe. and ten lines, but his presence in the film is huge. His and it's, final
0: line is probably, it was, it just, it kept, I think, Aaron, I think, I think I hear what you're saying. You're afraid that when you say the movie sets up and then delivers, maybe what you're seeing is that. It's too long. The joke goes on too far. Can you really pull it out of the comedy for that now, long? Granted,
1: this may have, and I'm, I'm, I, what I'm giving to this criticism is that it might have been because it's, it was the extended version. Absolutely, could have been. I did not not enjoy this because it was so long it felt like to me that there were sometimes things weren't as stitched together as they could have been they weren't as interwoven as as seamlessly as as needed um i do have probably in a very unpopular opinion um and we'll get to that in just a little bit <laughs> um and that's absolutely fine i
0: have an unpopular opinion Married to the Idea podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but what this what this movie does really well, I think Rich really, I mean, obviously he's seen it 300 times. Uh, he hit the nail on the head is the absurdity of it. It is the absurdity of Jake going to the church and then like getting a sign from God. Like, I have to go and save the orphanage. Um, Carrie Fisher attacking them with rocket launchers and M16s and, and flamethrowers. Um, Illinois Nazis, uh,
0: the cops' inability to stop causing damage, <laughs>
1: <laughs> driving through a freaking mall like the absurdity of it. it it's they, almost a live action cartoon, it's a
0: Roadrunner cartoon. It's an absurd setup with an even more absurd payoff. I think that's why there was a point where I thought are the jokes going too long? But then I realized that the movie carefully holds its cards and doesn't and it continually continually adds. It's not a long joke with no payoff. They amp it up Every little bit. They don't even. They don't blow their wad in the first joke. They amp it up more and more and more until the end, until that end scene where I think they fit a hundred guys in that shot.
1: Well, well over. It had to be. And
0: then before that, just thousands of them. St- like, I think the funniest scene for me. The funniest scene besides, <laughs> I. I've always loved you, which I am now going to add to my lexicon in daily life. The funniest scene beyond that was the mob going into the building, stopping to politely ask where the two gentlemen went, and then screaming as they run down the hall. It was... <laughs> it, it had the ear. It's all about, like Rich said, that that subtlety. That real quiet subtlety. Like, thank you.
1: <sighs> it had good timing. It was very... Um, uh, not Abbott and Costello, but it had... It had the classic timing of the Abbott Costello, the Laurel and Hardy, the insert two-name comedy troupe uh, here um, kind of s- styling or thought process, that very quick back and forth.
0: What do we think of the Blues Brothers as a comedic pair? Um,
1: there were times when they were funny together. There were times when they were just there together. When they worked the best is when they worked off of each other, um, and they in the scene allowed them to do that. Um, honestly, I think the funniest scene for them working together, besides maybe the final scene of them trying to escape or them uh trying to get to the gig, was uh them making uh, a bunch of they're being sorry rather being rowdy at the, uh, high establishment. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, high, high class establishment. Muffy, Muffy, you must try this water chestnut. It is so crisp. <laughs>
0: if you don't join the band, we will come here every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
1: Okay. Um, can we be moved, please? Oh, what, is there something wrong with the table? No, we just don't want to be by these gentlemen they smell unsightly like it just there there were there were a lot of jokes that landed and when they landed god did they knock you out and then there were jokes or opportunities that they didn't take like there was a scene when uh, a bar owner was trying to get money and uh, a band that they end up taking the place for when he easily could have been like hey you know what These other guys, this was our backup band that were supposed to come, and uh, they actually, they have our money, so these are the guys that are going to pay for our beer, and you know what? They're actually, they're better than us at this country and western stuff, so why don't you have them play for the rest of the night? Boom, funny scene, would have ended great, would have shown off a little bit more of his kind of uh, smarmy, kind of con artist type thing. And it might have even ended the scene a little faster. But it continued on a little bit more. I don't know if it was because of the extended cut or not.
2: Oh, that's pretty much how it was in theatrical. Okay. I I mean, mean, it's legit criticism. I mean, no film is with not all its flaws. But I think one of the things you have to look at, and I've always, I mean, somebody who loves movies as much as I do, I pay attention to the stories behind movies and how movies are made or the stories that go into it. And the stories for this particular movie are way more fascinating than the actual movie itself, which makes it more fascinating for me when I watch it every time. But the fact is that Dan Aykroyd really was I mean, he was known on SNL, but he wasn't a movie actor at this point. He wrote a, they basically asked for an outline, which is like, five pages he delivers over 250 pages and it's not even an outline it's a incoherent story of these two brothers that play music and delivers it to universal or to one of the couple of the producers that were doing this movie so john landis spent like three weeks trying to work this story down uh to where you can actually make it a screenplay god
0: bless the editors
2: (laughs) you gotta imagine like i mean You know, when you take that much novice people who know what they're doing but don't know how to do it yet, you can tell, I mean, there's just things that aren't sharp. But I think it's what makes the movies or stories even more interesting is because whenever you watch, like, a first movie for somebody as credited as Christopher Nolan uh, or Steven Spielberg or things like that, I mean, we all say E.T. is a great movie. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which was kind of his pre-ET movie, wasn't as good because it just meandered a little bit. But, you know, you learn from your mistakes. Oh, and uh, there was a slight argument at the end of the movie because Aaron doesn't believe in my expertise, knowledge of the movie and certain cameos. And the same person we talked about, Steven Spielberg, was actually a cameo at the end which is also one of John Landis's kind of directoral quirks. He likes to put people in his profession in his own movies.
1: Like Frank Oz. Yes,
2: the voice of Miss Piggy.
1: Yeah, who also and directs. You know.
2: And who also directs.
0: Which is funny when the guy in the store says, do you have Miss Piggy? And ironically,
2: he was the stunt coordinator for the film. Ah. Or for Animal House and this film.
1: That's that is that is. Exactly Landis likes to
2: bet. put a lot of his people in his movies and or like things on walls uh, or characters' names that reference people that help him make movies.
1: Or like the uh, the billboard, see you next Wednesday,
2: which is another directorial quirk because he likes to put movie horror movies that don't exist. And
1: well, it was. It, I remember reading an article or reading a bit of an article about this. Uh, it was a movie that he wanted to make But he could never make it So he just ended up making references to it Everyone wanted to see it And he's like, oh, it's not actually a movie It's just something I wanted to make But I'll never actually make it
2: Right? Oh yeah it, Okay Yeah, it, it's just really kind of cool when, when, you have, when you're armed with that knowledge And you watch it every single time After you look for those little quirks in the film And it just brings more life to it So but, I mean, the, the thing that I know we can't, we lampooned the uh, humor in it, what got me into the movie to begin with was the music. And I don't know if you guys resonate with that, but I grew up listening to the oldies when it was back 102.1 on the radio.
1: Oh, but the days before Star. Yes. Wow.
2: So yeah. I grew up listening to Motown and things like that, so I was very used to that. And I didn't really listen to music when I was growing up that was – at the time, which was Nirvana, um, Allison James, Chains, and the boy bands, which stuff I didn't relate to. But when I saw this movie on TV for the first time, I heard music that I definitely related to. And so I just wanted more of it. And that's to me, it's more musical than it is a comedy. And I, even John Landis talks about there's more music in this than there's actually music in musicals. And that's he has always lampooned it as a musical. So you kind of think about that for a second. And that's a director's perspective. And that's how I kind of view it. It is a funny film.
0: It depends on what your definition of musical is. Right. Is there a lot of music in it? Yes. Traditionally, um, the music in a musical is the character's thoughts that they are expressing. And you could say that it could be sort of like Mamma Mia, where the ABBA songs are supposed to be expressed in the characters. Like, almost like a jukebox
1: musical, like uh, uh, Moulin Rouge or something like that, where they take existing songs and then convey them into um, the the thoughts and stuff like that. So
0: I think, yes, a jukebox musical would be the, the category that I would categorize it as, as opposed to I'm going to sing... Original, I use original air quotes, like original songs that talk about... That I use to convey my feelings that aren't being said.
2: Definitely not West Side Story,
0: but...
1: (laughs) Yeah. like And if I would call this a musical, I would call this a concert musical. More along the lines of... Because the
0: music is diegetic. It actually happens in-universe, as opposed to it just happens and you don't know. Is it actually happening in the real world, or is it just in the minds of our protagonists, like a Disney movie? Are they really all singing in that town square, or is it just... This is how we're gonna talk.
1: Like the only like time when it like becomes almost like a musical song is when Aretha Franklin does the uh, not the uh, respect song the other (laughs) the other one (laughs) which she does in the Blues Brothers two thousand. Quite suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, she does the other song, and that's actually my unpopular opinion.
0: (laughs) Poor Aretha Franklin. Yeah, I really like dug her character and she's like yeah we run a business now you're my husband you can't just leave to go on a band with these two weirdos who just walked in there's a whole big musical number and basically he's like shut up and walks out and he never gets any comeuppance for it
1: and like and apparently she does take him back later on because you see in the sequel that they're back together and then she even tells the 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 grease cook or whatever the, the other guy who plays saxophone, saxophone, uh, just go, just go already. Um, she does a good job singing and she does a good job performing and her backup singers do a good job performing. No one else does a good job performing. The Blues Brothers, uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi are stiff as hell in that sequence. I think
0: they're supposed to be. Well, They always dance like that, even when they're at the big concert at the end. It's still like... They, Weird, hokey, jerky. They definitely
2: have a, the opportunity to ham it up a little bit, but professional dancers, they are not.
1: <laughs> no, and especially uh, the the husband, Malone or uh, Matt, or Matt Guitar Murphy. Yeah,
2: who he rest in peace passed away this last week. Oh, I didn't know that. Eighty eight, eight oh, wow. years old. It made me feel insanely old because we were <laughs> watching it for a long time, and then. Great guitarist played is has played with many of the blues legends, but yeah, I thought as far as the bandmates, he was the best person at acting. With him and Alan Rubin, oh yeah, I,
1: I, I the the guy that's who, another thing. That so I these know guys is were tough. all
0: musicians first. These are all legitimate oh. musicians
1: because yes, they did that in this even in the Blues Brothers two thousands. They did the
2: same thing because people have a tendency to complain about that. But it's one of those it's like what do you want you have have professional actors playing musicians or the musicians that actually are the band that are acting in a film and i think
0: it's high school drama club
2: yeah you can either have a
0: singer who can't act or an actor who can't sing and you always go with the singer who can't act
1: (laughs) well um honestly the other band members didn't do a bad job acting they weren't terrible they were cheesy but they weren't terrible this poor guy had to get put into a couple dance sequences with Aretha Franklin, and it was super awkward. Like, she's like, pushing him backwards, and you just see his, like, shoulders go, eh, eh, eh. I am dancing, I promise. I am not a robot. Um, it's
0: I, I Those just, big dance sequences with, like, all the dancers outside of Ray's music exchange and, uh, just church. Like, yeah, the, just, yeah like, the church. How cool, like, there was a really cool moment in this movie when I thought they're actually representing, like, the demographics of Chicago as opposed to just saying there are only white people. Let's just come out and say, like, there was, it's completely split cast. And yes, your two main characters are white, but that's...
2: You also... What are you oh. trying to say, Elizabeth?
0: I, I'm saying it's cool. It's well, progressive. It it's neat. Legi-
2: I mean, it's a legitimate point because you have to remember... It's sh- chi This is 1980. This is not 2018. This is 1980, where in truth, this is true. Universal got backlash for releasing this film in the South and major theater companies did not play it at theaters that were around predominantly white areas because the complaints were there were too many African-Americans. And ultimately, what's, you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, baseball, I'm St. Louis Cardinals all the way, but don't like Chicago Cubs. But the music, the movie itself is a love story to Chicago, and it's not what you know.
0: It's not Disneyfied, it's an, uh,
2: idealized. Yeah. It is there's a garbage in the street and yeah. graffiti Maybe on the walls. They do a Chicago
1: song at one point. Like I uh, uh, was, I forget what the song title was, but I remember they is. This title had Chicago in it. You can tell from the shots
0: of the city that
2: he's absolutely
0: doing that. Yeah,
2: and it comes from uh, Dan Aykroyd, who, even though he's from Canada, I mean, his heart has always been in Chicago with the blues and everything. But, yeah, I mean, this movie was progressive in many ways in the sense that they were told to hire less black people for the movie, and John Landis was like, no. And you can see by both in... Uh, cab calloway's little apartment downstairs and uh, there's another scene i think with ray charles there's pictures of malcolm x martin luther king jr on the walls and it's just you have to put it in context you watch it today you don't think anything of it but 1980 when things were still hot and heavy from the whole civil rights movement 11 years prior to this you know passing by jo- lyndon baines johnson it's still fresh on a lot of people's minds it's
1: very true and um I, you're right that didn't even occur to me because i did see those photographs and i just like, oh that's cool you know he he has like maybe spiritual leaders or these these leaders but it didn't even occur to me that that's why they were up there
0: don't worry babe we'll make you woke yet <laughs>
1: Yeah, all I have to say Aaron is... Aaron was
0: very mad at me. He said, I made him woke today.
1: No, <laughs> I wasn't mad about it. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe I didn't realize it until now that you made me woke. I was showing you um, all
0: the cool uh, new she pictures for the new She-Ra uh, series coming out on Netflix, and all the fanboys were like, she's she's not the ideal woman. She's not showing and that's,
1: that's not even the only complaint is people are like, well, why are you remaking old cartoons? And it's like... Because it's profitable. Yes, it is profitable. But they're also... This one... And even Thundercats. They're taking old cartoons that were okay. And they're making them better. Like that's the whole thing of why remake something that's already good like beauty and the beast and uh harry potter and stuff like yeah, that do
0: stuff that's already like please don't make an amazon lord of the rings series <laughs> do something different
1: remake the hobbit because it wasn't that good
0: oh yeah that sucks yeah you could do a show on that oh oh we just hit a rich trigger
2: okay richie, richie huh. finger first and third movies or easily forgettable, but to me the second movie will always be. And Let good. me take a Whoa, wild, a, a stab in a the wild dark.
0: guess in the dark.
2: And let me get Schmog. Schmaug. Yeah. schmaug. You, you would be quite correct in that. Oh show. God! Yeah. Uh, Not so, to mention, I mean, come on, it's got. Uh, oh, now brain fart on this one. <laughs> um, Wasp. Yes, Evangeline, Evangeline Lilly. All that they
0: wrote for her. I'm no. I I will tell you, poor Evangeline Lily, I'm looking very forward to seeing her in Ant Man and the Wasp because when she was cast in the Hobbit, she said, "This is cool. you have made a new female character. Um, please don't put me in a love triangle. That's all I ever get cast in. Could I please just be my own character?" Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. She finishes the movies. They bring her back for reshoots, and she's looking at her script, and she realizes, "Oh." I'm in a love triangle. Great. In the reshoots they do this to her because hey, can't have a female without having her pick somebody.
2: Yeah, but it is because of the Hobbit that she continued acting. Mm-hmm. Because she had said that after her experience with Lost, she was ready to quit. And the Hobbit showed her how much she enjoyed the business, which what gave us Ant Man.
1: Yeah, but so also thank you. Lost put Evangeline Lilly and um, what's his face Dominic Monaghan together, and then because of their bad breakup, he quit Lost, and he was such a fan favorite. Yeah, and so they wrote him off.
0: I think that it's hard to so maybe separate. So
1: is just a terrible show to
0: separate actors from their personal lives. It's hard when you act with someone and you get attached to them in a multitude of ways, and then have to <laughs> so separate. Like like Castle. So,
1: uh, I feel like we've gotten off topic just a bit. bit. Just a little Um, bit.
0: I want to talk about the practical effects. The cars! Oh my god, the car chases and the car pile up. So many cars. How many cars did John Landis kill? What car killed his family to make this happen?
2: (laughs) The answer is 103.
0: Thank you. I knew it was 100.
2: And at that time, set the record for most accidents on screen for two years until some... Random movie, broken. and then
1: uh, I'm sure it was like Smokey and the Bandit or something.
2: No, I I, I looked it up uh, before it came over. No, I can't. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like two. It was 1982 something,
1: which I'm sure has been broken since then. With yes, F- Fast and the Furious. Now that's no, it's all CGI
0: in Fast and Furious. There's Matrix. no way.
1: oh yeah because the the had a scene in like the second or third one where they push all the cars out of the out of the parking garage
0: yes was that Fast and the Furious or that was that was but like it was also
2: Civil War yeah maybe that was the one (laughs) where Scarlet Witch starts tossing vehicles yeah but uh, no Uh, Magneto
0: goes down a Golden Gate Bridge Uh, the monkeys take over San Francisco there's a lot of car destruction in movies I
2: think currently I may be wrong as of this but I think the ma- one of the Matrix movies has the record. So, well, I think it's the second one when they're on the freeway.
0: Yeah, which is also a very cool practical scene.
1: But um, yes, there's a, a, a lot of the effects. Which they don't do a lot of special effects, but a lot of the effects are well done.
0: Which I see uh, the light. <laughs> that's a little. That's a little. Yeah.
2: Well,
1: are, are you laughing because of the the second movie? No, yeah, I'm, I'm laughing sorry.
2: because you're talking about the practical effects. It just the dropping the Ford Pinto from helicopter. Oh my land! It, that it's, was such it's a still cool. one of the to me is like one of the greatest parts of that movie. For for anybody who hasn't seen the movie, all I have to say is what leads up to this scene is called basically "fuck Illinois Nazis," and uh, <laughs> a, a Illinois Nazi gets his comeuppance by. Basically flying off a not completed freeway and which somehow puts the him two
0: thousand feet up in the <laughs> air and drops him.
1: It just drops him straight down. It's it's actually it's a wonderful. Se- Honestly, I would put it on par of like the the airplane just dropping straight down in uh, Dark Knight Rises.
0: I would put it this on so like as far as dramatic. memorable lines like that's with I regret nothing or a Wilhelm scream like that is so quintessentially or the, iconic. Uh,
1: the um. I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, so I uh, I would like to uh, maybe start looking at wrapping up. But uh, I You think- are the timekeeper. Yes. Um, I don't think we should rate it. Or should we rate it?
0: Aaron, I got to tell you, we have forgotten to rate quite a few. I don't think we... No, we, the <laughs> only
1: one that we forgot to rate was The Dark Knight. I don't... Cause why would the hell would we? You have fought
0: me tooth and nail over the way we have rated since the dawn of time. Maybe it's time to stop rating.
1: I'm sorry. I have to say this because it makes it it puts me in a terrible light. It was my idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am vindicated.
1: I went back and I listened to the first episode again, and I'm the one that came up with the idea. I'm an idiot. It's
0: been one year. I am officially here right now. Rich, you can document it. You stand witness. We are no longer doing the freaking number rating system because all I've gotten is shit for that. Because we do an hour of nothing but praise and compliments for a movie and then say six out of ten. And everyone gets so... <laughs> nah, can't do it no more. So
1: how would you like to do it instead? Then? I think
0: we just say... I think our review speaks for itself.
1: So re- if we recommend it and how we would recommend okay. it. How about that? Okay.
0: Um, sure.
1: Okay. So I would absolutely recommend this. Um, I don't know if I would call it. I'd call it more of a concert musical. If yeah. anything. I wouldn't call it a jukebox musical. I'd call it a concert musical. Um, come for the comedy. Stay for the music. Uh, stay for the uh, Mickey the Moocher the moocher. mini sorry the, mini moocher. the moocher. that's probably my favorite part musical part of the entire thing it's well done it's well shot and it will make you uh sing along
0: yeah definitely um i think that if you like absurdist comedy this is the one to go i think in the middle of one of the chase scenes i hear aaron say yeah like that could happen and i wanted to like turn to you and say you're not watching it right none of this could happen that's the cool part (laughs) Uh, and i also believe i told rich that the blues brothers are uh pretty much Eldritch horrors because they can't be killed and are immortal but uh, because they're on a
1: mission from god
0: (laughs) there is a scene at the very very beginning it's all quiet no music where they're taking Jake through the prison to get his belongings and there's like a couple jokes some visual some said but at the end the gates open and you see Elwood sitting outside by the car and you see his beautiful sunset over the wall so you know like it's uh evening but the gates open and this bright beautiful glowing light appears behind Jake as he's standing there. No like, oh, nothing, just bright light and you see him walk out of it and it's like this crazy absurdist symbolism about how he is reborn and he is here again to be like, there's, there was something about that one instantaneous shot quickly followed by them juking the car over an (laughs) upturned bridge and I think if you don't like it in the first 10 minutes, you're not going to like it anywhere else. I think it pretty clearly states what it's going to be very quickly. So I would say that if you watch the first bit, you're like, I don't know. I don't think it's for you. But I think if you like Monty Python or um, music, I think it's the movie for you.
2: I mean, obviously, I was the one who pushed you guys into at least watching. I never thought I would be doing the podcast. But I think if you like movies, you know, and you like popcorn movies, which, you know, is a term that's used a lot for films that don't require a level of investment mentally that, you know, other movies require from you. Uh, This is a true to blue popcorn movie. In the sense that you just check your brain at the door and you sit for just a good time, an enjoyable time. And I think the thing I will push for people who haven't seen this movie is that because I do enjoy the story behind it, the documentary or the making of that's on the 30-year edition um, is 100% worth it. Because when you watch that, you're going to learn a lot more about the people who made the movie including lots of cocaine, uh, John Belushi disappearing at night, just randomly that nobody knew where he went. And uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd was walking down. They had split up into a bunch of like a search party and they were walking through a neighborhood and Dan Aykroyd saw a house with lights on. And he walked up to the door trying to, he's getting ready to explain who he was and why they're there. And the guy said, the first thing the guy said to him was, you looking for John Belushi? And Dan like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He uh, just came by my house and asked me for a sandwich of milk. And he just crashed on my couch. And uh, which is what got John Belushi, the nickname, America's guest. Uh, so, it's, I mean, there's just so much to that story in the documentary that is just way worth to watch on top of. So you get to watch the movie, which is great. Then you get to watch probably another 20, 30 minutes of something that adds more to it, which makes it even more enjoyable. And I think, you know, ultimately for me, this is one of, I know you guys all do rankings, but everybody always asks me, what's your favorite movie of time? It's always Jurassic Park. Really? I was nine years old. I always have looked at what movies have changed the way I look at cinema and Jurassic park and toy story were one and two in that way of how I viewed cinema and how it changed me. We can argue about plot holes, stories and stuff like that. But as far as like when that nostalgia element of me sitting in a theater at nine years old, watching probably the scariest Freaking thing I've ever seen in my life. It's still always number one. But ask me what movie could I watch ten times in a row and would never get tired of seeing it. It's the Blues Brothers, and it will always be that way for me.
1: Now, Rich, you did say that there is one thing you would recommend about the sequel.
2: Um, you—what you talking about? Me saying you should watch it just because? No, like what is the one good
0: thing from the sequel that is worthwhile?
2: Well, just the music. Yeah. Exactly. See, the first one had people that weren't really well-known at the time, that they were able to get on dirt cheap, like Ray Charles, Wraitha Franklin. Which can ex- not me.
0: I can't imagine a world where Ray Charles is not the biggest freaking thing you've ever seen! But
2: you have to remember, this is 1980, this is the end of disco... And everything was disco, disco, disco. It wasn't until much later where rock and roll started getting back into the limelight. And a lot of these people have rock and roll roots. So they became better known throughout the 80s and became the icons that they are. They were really just held to social circles with the elements that they played to. They weren't really well known at that time. Now, the 2000 version is a just ridiculous amount of musical talent
1: because i know aretha franklin comes back um who uh ray charles doesn't come back because he passed on by yeah this point.
2: He, i don't know if he had passed but he definitely wasn't part of it but james brown is back father of soul yeah um uh, he came back for the second one but at the end which is like the battle of the bands the band they go up against is just littered with people um oh my gosh was it
1: um freaking eric clapton in it eric
2: clapton was a guitarist the funny thing was okay i have to get this story out and i know we're getting so another kind of hot topic in this as far as the story of Blues Brothers is that the actual pianist for the movie was or for the band was Paul Schaefer and Paul Schaefer was the or was the person at SNL. Well, Paul Schaefer was who... Everybody knows Paul Schaefer from being the musical director for David Letterman. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people know him as. But he got a start on SNL. Well, he didn't get a start, but he was featured on SNL. Well, he was on Gilda Radner's live whatever, and it prevented him from being in the movie. So that's why they recasted him or re-put him in the band with... Uh, uh, Murphy, uh, Murphy
1: Dunn, (laughs) Yeah. Mitch, Mitch tones or whatever that guy was. So,
2: yeah. And, uh, so in order to restore balance, they brought Paul Schaefer back and he's the head of this other band, which has like the late, great Isaac Hayes, um, has like, I think Stevie wonder and Eric Clapton. And I think was Michael McDonald. Uh, Good Lord. I mean, it's just like, uh, bb king i mean the list goes i think travis tritt which always threw me because i would never imagine travis tritt as being somebody associated with blues but there is an element of country music that shares its roots with
1: yeah like uh, kind of a mournful almost that zz top which
2: has that kind of Texas, you know, rock blues. Uh, Wayne too. Yeah, yeah, so he's in it. I mean, it's, but, yeah, the, the, the second movie's not worth it for story, but it's worth it for the musical people they have in it.
1: Uh, but they didn't get the best of the best what, in there. Beyonce? No. no.
0: <laughs> Aaron's yeah. got a real hate for Beyonce.
1: Sorry, I'm not a bay Uh No, they didn't get the, the, the truly best person out there for the for that role mr conway (laughs) twitty uh
0: and on that note (laughs) we on that note we actually have a surprise for all of you listeners out there what are you talking about what are you saying to me boo
1: they will will actually already know about this no we're only doing
0: it inside the podcast
1: i know this episode is going to come out after the next one we're doing so, th- they will actually already know about this, but we can remind them.
0: Okay. Boy, you know, it really takes the wind out of my sails when we go off timeline. Okay, so as you heard in the last one, we're giving away really awesome stickers. Yay! Free to our first 50 people to claim them. To get a free sticker, go to marriagetheidea.wheelie.com forward slash just for you. You type that into your web browser and you're going to get a special page that only you can see that has pictures of two kinds of stickers, a square one of our two mics and a rectangular one of our entire logo. Type in your name, email address, physical address, and which kind of sticker you would like and we will send it to you.
1: Hey Rich, would you like a sticker?
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Take one, feel in your hands, tell the listeners at home how it is.
2: (laughs) Okay. That's kind of creepy, but this this will be displayed at work for sure.
0: Awesome sauce.
2: You can tell
1: uh, your coworker who works with my coworker or who's related to my coworker where you got it from. Mm-hmm. Oh, I,
2: I'll, I will be plugging this for sure.
0: Share uh, the love. These are uh, awesomely designed by Aaron. He did a really great job with them. And What's
2: your job again, Aaron?
1: <laughs> award winning, runner up award winning graphic designer. Oh,
2: okay. So it almost <laughs> corresponds with that.
0: It's almost, almost like you knew what you were doing when you made these. <laughs>
1: it's
0: almost, almost like I had to beg you for 20 episodes before you'd finally get oh, around to making yeah. our logo. Oh,
1: it's not like I have, like, three people are like, Hey, can I have something designed by you? Hey, can you design stuff for me? So... Once, ag-
0: uh, <laughs> once again, we have limited supplies of these. So that website is marriedtotheidea.weebly.com forward slash just for you
1: not number four f-o-r right
0: i would have said number four like when i say married number two the idea for our twitter account it's just for you you'll get the special page where you can get your special stickers
1: you mean the twitter page that we don't
0: use? i don't uh, guys i uh, twitter is dead i'm calling it right now <laughs> because one week from this time it will be dead because that's what happens when we say something on this podcast. One week later, it comes true.
1: So, uh, yes, we uh, we have another episode that we're about to record. Besides,
0: we just lose all of those bots and the great Twitter purge that just happened.
1: If we actually have followers, yeah, we're we're recording kind of two at one time. So uh, we have this other one that I've been kind of plugging for a while, and we're actually finally going to record it. I'm really excited about. But it
0: already one, happened so. as of this recording. Yes, it did. So, so there, you can't you can't hype it no more. It already done did
1: no more hype so Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening if you have any ideas that you would like uh, for us to do, please share them in the comments below or shoot us an email um, and be sure to go on and get some stickers. We're really excited about these. We were really happy uh, not only to celebrate our one year, but to also win the award. So we figured we wanted to kind of share the love. So um, these are some awesome stickers. We really want uh, people to have them. So
0: And thank you, Rich, for introducing us to Blues Brothers and for watching and discussing with us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, guys.
0: And you didn't once sound like a robot so I, win th-
2: so much the goal was not to be monotone all the way through i'm there i can think of at least two to
1: four people that are going to be so proud of you right now neither of which are your parents and I, i'm sure they're going to be proud of you but neither of those two people came to my mind when i said those four people
2: i was gonna say that's pretty much my friends list on facebook so.
0: and your puppy yes,
2: yes kaylee will be
1: extremely happy her tail will back so hard <laughs> but uh, there's no falling out to that (laughs) at all but uh again thank you for coming on hopefully the first of many appearances yeah
2: this wasn't so bad that i actually would like wouldn't mind sharing more movie experiences
0: and rich is a crazy movie aficionado probably the equal of aaron in that regard
2: not nearly the critic but more just actual true lover of cinema
0: like you've seen jaws yeah, I haven't seen Jaws.
2: There's a lot of movies you haven't seen. That I know, really disappointing. Like the me.
1: classics. Uh, he's seeing that we have. Yeah, but we have seen no classic contemporary <laughs> stuff that he has. And I don't know why you listen well, to me. I have as no as classic knowledge. With events and stuff like that. But um, yeah, he he seen like the classics, like Jaws and ET and stuff like that. But
0: yeah, uh, yeah, we need some legitimacy desperately. Yes,
1: uh, we would. Uh, <laughs> we would love to have you back on. Yes, so. sweet. And now that you know where we live, uh, <laughs> stalker music plays here.
2: Uh, well, I mean, I already knew where you all lived. It was just nice to actually be invited to inside for once.
0: <laughs> Rich is a vampire.
2: Stand outside in the rain.
0: I've been watching, watching you.
1: <laughs> but uh, yes, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, be sure to like us everywhere. Follow us, share us, and enter in for a sticker. Uh, but until next time, she's been Elizabeth.
0: He's been Aaron. And And we're we're married married to to the idea. idea.
1: Thank you one more time to Rich.